All right. I think we're live. All right. Um, thanks for joining us, everybody, for Mix It Up with ML number eight, where we have Jewel Brown, a good friend of mine and somebody I really look up to today on the pod just to chop it up a little bit. Thanks for coming on, Jewel. Thanks for having me, Mike. Thank you. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, you know, we like to start the pod with just sort of an introduction for the listeners of, you know, how we met so they can have a little bit more context to, to the episode. Yeah, I think the my favorite part about playing basketball and, you know, my career is over now, but I think the best part about that was, you know, you just go so many places, but you also are in touch with so many different people from different backgrounds. Um, and I think, you know, Mike, we, we have the bond through, through Jersey shore, but yep. just like that local kind of Philadelphia area basketball scene um, is so important to me and in and, and my life and it's shaped who I am. So I'm really fortunate to, you know, have come in contact with people like you and like still keep that contact. I think that's been very important for me because, you know, we, we, that, that AAU circuit is very tough. The high school circuit is tough, but again, the reward is the connections and uh, the people you meet. So I'm glad to, to be on right now. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's a great point, right? Um, I think you coming on the pod is a great indicator to me of how many people that I've met just through AAU. Yeah. And, and I like, you know, I think, and I want to chop this up a little bit later, just about AAU ball and sort sure. of, you know, the basketball dynamic. But I think in a lot of ways you can paint AAU basketball for better or for worse as, mm -hmm. you know, somewhat self-serving and whatnot because kids are trying to get scholarships, et cetera. But, you know, I like to look at it a bit more positively, like you just said, in terms of we were able to meet when we otherwise might not have. Although right. just so for the listeners, Jersey Shore is Jersey Shore Warriors, which was our AAU program. And so we met through that. But and we'll talk about this in a second, but I actually, you know, met Jewel from afar through watching you play for Lower Marion uh, High School basketball. Right. And Jewel. So what high school class were you? What class year? 2015. 2015. Got it. Got it. So that was just a year older than me. That's what I thought. Um, and yeah, man. So I used to watch you through that. And then I guess I played, you know, I practiced a little bit with the older team and that's how yeah. we met. Right. And so. Yep. And then we stayed in touch through Twitter and all that good stuff. So absolutely, unreal, unreal. Well, I have a lot I want to ask you, Jewel. Super excited to have you on. So the first thing I want to ask is sort of going back to those roots, right? Like those LM roots, Lower Marion. Um, I believe, so I did a little research before the pod, try to, try to be briefed. And um, I saw you move to LM in first grade. Is that correct? Yeah. yeah. Could you talk a little bit more about just that move and what motivated that? And sort of what that experience was right, like, right? Because I think LM, you touched on it in one of your pieces that you've written. Um, it's like majority white neighborhood, and it was just like a different experience for you. Mm -hmm. um, so could you just talk about that a little bit? And I'd love to kind of go from there. Yeah. So I lived literally across city line. So mm -hmm. the line that from the Philadelphia area to the suburban area. Um, and so really, again, in that first grade time period, um, my family made the decision to move. Um, and I really enjoyed going to school in the city. Um, my school was actually connected to my mom's in hotel management. So okay. my school was connected to her hotel. And so when I would play at recess, you could, you could I could look over through the fence and she could like, oh, I love it. whatever. So that was really cool. But I think, you know, moving out to, to, to Lower Marion Township, that was huge for me and my, my development. And, you know, back to what we were just talking about earlier is like the connections and the, the people that you meet. Um, you know, when you go in and you move to a different place as a kid, it's, 
it, it may not be easy, but I think when I first got there, I was embraced and, you know, I made lifelong connections and friendships with people that I still talk to today. Right. We still hang out. We, you know, we do these things. So, um, you know, I really thank my family for making that move. And, you know, when you're in first grade, you don't know. I didn't really know. I mean, I, I knew what Lower Marion High School was. And, you know, I had the dream of playing at Lower Marion one day, going to play in college and playing the NBA. But mm-hmm. um, regardless of any sort of sports, um, I was just so thankful to kind of be embraced by, you know, my classmates and uh, make those lifelong connections. Yeah. And I mean, I think it has a lot to do with you. You're just like a super friendly guy and able to <laughs> connect with other people. Right. And so I'm yeah. sure that helped a lot. And, you know, so did you know that it was Kobe's high school growing up when you were in first grade even? Did you know? That? Yeah, you know. Um, but at the same time, you know, as I, you know, as years went by in 2006, Laura Marion won the state championship. Mm-hmm. And so I remember, uh, you know, in my apartment building, it overlooks uh, Montgomery Avenue. So I remember when they won the state championship and they had their parade, I saw them, you know, I saw guys like Ryan Brooks, Gary Williamson, you know, riding by with those gold medals draped around their neck. And I think that was the moment I was like, that's what I want to be a part of. Right. Um, And again, you never really know how things shake out. Um, And obviously there were, you know, there were great private schools in the area too, as well, that I could have very well gone to, but I think that moment in 2006, that's when I knew like, I, this thing is right next to me down the street, literally across the street. Um, and I wanted to be a part of that. And, yeah. And sort of that legacy that Kobe Bryant helped usher in. Yeah. And so I love your, you know, memory there of watching them, you know, go through the championship parade with the gold medals. Right. Cause I think it touches on something that I've noticed, which is, And I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, which is just, you know, I think like one advantage of playing basketball, for example, at a public school, Mm -hmm. it's just the integration into the community. Right. So like at least and and I think we have very similar like high school basketball experiences. So for the listeners, I played at Plymouth White Marsh High School, which, you know, is one of the, you know, very top level high school basketball programs in southeastern PA, at least for public schools. Um, So very similar to, to LM. And I loved how there was just community members who, you know, maybe their kids didn't even go to PW anymore, or maybe they never went to PW, right? But they would just come to the games. It's like $5 a pop, mm-hmm. right, to come to the games. And when we won the state championship in 2010, sort of a similar thing. It was a community event. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, private schools sort of hold a lot of the power in the high school basketball scene nowadays. Would you agree if that's true? Um, yeah. And and I totally understand that. Like you want to go like sort of form these really high level basketball teams with superstars from all over the place, but there's something beautiful and sort of pure about the public school, high school basketball experience. I don't know if you've thought of it like that, but. Yeah, definitely. I think when you look at like the state tournament and you look at the different teams that you kind of have to face, um, I think in, in our class, obviously the, the classifications are different. Like they yeah. only went up to four and now there's, you know, there's more, but um, there were, there are sort of like pr- not private schools, but schools that are able to recruit or schools that can kind of bring kids in from different places. So it kind of makes it that much better when you go up against those schools and you're able to win, just given the fact that like, you know, we're from this, 
you know, we, most of us are from this area. Yeah. And um, I think the community aspect is, has, you know, played a huge role in why I wanted to attend Lower Marion is that everyone knows what it is. That's, mm-hmm. that's the highest level that you can get. But I think it's the, you know, having the conversations with people in the neighborhood and you stop at Wawa and someone that saw your game last night and you have that conversation. I think that's really cool. Um, so I think that played an even bigger part in my decision to, to go there. Right. Right. And have you ever sort of like a question out of the blue, have you ever thought about if you would want to send, if you had a child one day, would you want to send your child to like a private school or a public school? Have you ever thought about that sort of question? Yeah, for <laughs> sure. And you know, the, the balance is, you know, I know how great this area has been to me and you know, the experiences that I had, but this is a different time now. And I think kids respond to things differently. Mm. Um, I think they think about the world differently. So it's putting them in the best environment that they can not only thrive, but be themselves. I feel like kids now have a lot of pressure to be certain things or fit into a certain box. But I feel like we all have to do a better job of letting them know that like, whatever it is that you want to do or who you want to be, you can do that, but you have to be true within yourself, not doing mm-hmm. things for, you know, what other people may think or what someone else suggests. Like right. you're, you're the one that controls your destiny. Right. And can you, if you're willing, can you expand a little bit more on that jewel? Cause I'd love to hear your perspective. Cause I think you're a bit more plugged into, you know, the, the youth basketball scene, at least more than I am at this yeah. point. Um, I'd love to hear about that because I've noticed some shifts as well, but I think you definitely are, are more of the expert here. I want to hear more. Yeah, I think, okay, you can look at it from, from two ways, the sports, sports side of it, but also just life in general. Mm. From a life standpoint, I do feel these kids are under a lot more pressure than we were coming up. And okay. I think a lot of it has, has to do with uh, social media and having that access. I think there was a time period where we were kids and that didn't really exist, yeah. or we were a little too young to kind of be in that space. But now it's so accessible and you're starting to see kids you know, be able to work an iPad at, at as young as two or one. Um, <laughs> but from a social media standpoint, it does put a lot of pressure on young people to, to feel like they have to fit a cer- certain image or feel like they have to, uh, you know, do things or buy things that allow them to fit in with a specific group. Mm. And, you know, it kind of worries me a little bit because a lot of that is not reality. Um, I think, we have to put a greater emphasis on being authentic and being yourself and doing things for your own happiness, not for someone else's. Mm. And the same thing applies for basketball. I think now that like the camera's on all the time, you go to AU tournaments. Now people are taking videos, even open gyms, right? Absolutely. Open gyms are filming. Yeah, go ahead. Yep. And people are getting highlight tapes for, you know, certain things. And, it's great that the game has this much exposure, but again, it puts that pressure on these kids that I have to play a certain way or a certain style or, you know, the slams and the overtimes aren't going to pick it up. But mm-hmm. it's just like, if you can hoop and you are doing the little things that help your team win, you'll always get noticed by, you know, it may not be the social media outlets and mm. going viral, but, you know, if you want to play at the next level or, you know, whatever you want to do, I think it's, you know, we have to put a greater emphasis for our young kids that like as great as a tool as social media is, 
there's also reality that you have to step back from that social media and really just kind of live in this moment and live for yourself and for your family because mm. those cameras and those videos people aren't going to remember i mean i guess people are people are going to remember how you know how good of a basketball player you were but they're not going to remember you had 28 points against uh i don't know whoever archbishop would mm-hmm. they're going to remember how good of a person you were and how you made them feel so you know what i've tried to do in in being a counselor and kind of like a, a basketball instructor it's just kind of ha- letting them know that like there are other things outside of basketball that you can uh focus your energy on yeah and and man there's so much there and i want to you're kind of alluding to some things i want to ask you about later okay. but just sort of i guess trying to contain my thoughts there do you think a couple of questions i have firstly do you think that this social media culture that that you're touching on there has even influence the way coaches are looking at kids to these to these days like you mentioned that if you do the little things correctly coaches are going to notice and I think I hope that's the case right but do you think even these coaches have been influenced to some extent by sort of what sort of player they're looking for or not really sure I think it gives coaches a another outlet in terms of recruiting and now that there are more cameras and more video it it kind of makes their job a little bit easier. Mm. But at the same time, when you look at those highlight clips, you're only seeing some of the good of it, right? But you're not getting a chance to see, you know, how good of a teammate they are. Like, are they making those hustle plays? What's their attitude like? It's it's kind of hard to really tell unless you really go in to those, you know, to these AU gyms and you get a chance to see. Um, so I think, you know, social media is a great tool and it's good all, all across the board, but also... Uh, you know, there's some, there's some aspects of it that are kind of troubling and it's hard to tell, like, are you playing because you enjoy playing? You want to win? You want to do the little things that it takes? Or are you playing because you want to get to a certain place because of the fame, the notoriety or whatever the case may be Yeah, uh, that comes with the, the, you know, the more, the greater coverage of the game today. Right. Right. And I totally agree. And do you think that, you know, one of the questions I actually wanted to ask you, you know, before coming in here was, you know, and this is right in line with the social media sort of player centric focus nowadays is um, do you think that the higher transfer rates now, like uh, maybe in high school or even in college, right? How, how much that uptick has been. I don't know this like percentages on that. I don't know that per- like, but I think anecdotally we all might know that's true. Um, you think that has to do with, you know, a really good thing where I, I believe it's a great thing that LeBron kind of shifted this culture in the NBA of like taking power away from like mm-hmm. ownership and, and bringing it more player centric focus. Um, and, you know, he got railed against for that. And he, he said, you know, the decision was not the most, you know, the best thing he could have done or the way he did it. Right. But sure. I, I think the shift from ownership to players having control is a beautiful thing. Um, and do you think that that's influencing some of the younger kids today transferring more? Is it social media mainly? Is it both? Like, what do you think about that dynamic? Yeah, it's all wrapped in one. Yeah. Um, I think that this new trend, the transfer rule that you can do a one-time transfer and then you can, you know, you don't have to sit out, Mm. um, for that first transfer. And again, the, the term player empowerment has kind of become more prevalent than ever. Mm -hmm. And, and it is because of guys like LeBron and, and being able to take ownership of your career and 
you know, what truly makes you happy. And I think the other part is, you know, coaches have always been able to, you know, take jobs freely and they don't have to sit out a year. (laughs) So the, but the double-edged sword is, you know, the freedom to transfer while it is great. Right. There's another side of it and and cases are all different. There are a bunch of different reasons why you transfer. Absolutely. But there's another side of it where, you know, if you're a, a player and you're, you know, the situation doesn't work out because you're not playing as much or, you know, whatever the case may be, right? Like, how are you handling adversity, right? The easy thing is to go transfer somewhere and, you know, just say, I'm out of here. Like, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to go find what's best for me. And that's great. That's fine. But there's the other side of it where you can't run forever. Like, you have have to kind of look yourself in the mirror and you have to tell yourself like hey am I doing all the things necessary to earn playing time or to mm-hmm. you know earn coaches trust and that's also you know having people in your corner too I feel like a lot of times yeah. guys and maybe like the high profile guys don't have the right people in their corner and they're telling they're feeding them and telling them what they want to hear but there's an accountability aspect where if you truly are in this this kid's ear and you want the best for them, you claim you want the best for them. I hope people are telling them not what they want to hear, but telling them, like breaking it down to them, letting them know, like, are you doing the right things on and off the floor? Are mm-hmm. you getting in trouble? Are you, you know, being accountable? Right. So it's, it's, it's tough because I do want to see these players, you know, control their destiny and, and be able to choose what, what path is right for them. But I also just hope that, you know, they have the right people in their corner telling them like, Hey, like, you may want to leave now and the easy thing is to leave, but there's, there's beauty in kind of sticking it out and fighting your way through because it's only going to help you once that ball stops bouncing. Like Mm. you, there's a, there's a whole world outside of the game. And when you stop playing, are you going to like bounce from job to job because things get a little tough? Right. You know what I mean? So that's that. I just hope, hope that these players have the right people in their ear and are kind of steering them in the right direction. Right. And I think that's beautifully put. And, you know, your nuanced take on that really speaks to the idea that, you know, in this world, there's very few things that are really like black or white. There's a lot of gray in there. Right. And I think from the way you're speaking, it sounds to me like you probably have an ability to really connect with the youth, you know, right now today. And like, and what I mean is, like, how do we, you know, the classic, like old head type thing where, you know, we might even be old heads at this point, right? Me and you, and we're just barely Probably. out, but it, like what Probably. we just said, right. Or what you just said about the beauty and sticking it out and all that stuff. How do we, or how do older coaches or older figures it could be a father figure, mother figure, caregiver, whatever. How do we, as we get older and as the times change, right. With basketball or whatever your child is like into pursuing, how do you cross that age barrier and connect with them in a way that they can see that you understand the culture in which they're growing up? Right. Cause we didn't grow up with all these Instagram highlight reels and like, how are you able to do that? Because it seems to me like you're really able to just from, you know, how I heard you talk about that, but yeah, I think first it's just compassion, like having the compassion or the willingness to, you know, kind of put yourself out there. Because not everybody wants to be critiqued or, 
told what to do. I totally understand that. And I feel like this upcoming generation, Gen Z, like they, you know, they have a lot of access to resources and, you know, they know a lot and they know what they like and they know what they don't like. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you're not going to always relate to them, but at the same time, it's that willingness to speak to them and not, not just tell them what they want to hear, but giving them some words of advice or some examples and things that you've been through mm. because you know again it was a different time when we played that was just what we're in 2021 so that was when I graduated high school that was six years ago just but crazy. from AAU it was really like 2011 mm-hmm. to so that's 10 years that have gone by and it's a totally different the game has evolved in a different way but I still think, you know, these kids just need those outlets and they need people to tell them like, hey, yes, you may feel this way, but here's another way to to take a look at it. Right. Right. But it's really just that willingness on your end to reach out and say, hey, like. This is another way you can go about it, because otherwise we continue to let them kind of work it out on their own and then we're wondering why this kid doesn't pan out in college. And we're wondering why, Oh, he transferred so many times. Like why is that? So obviously people have their own individual mindsets and people are going to make decisions again for what's, you know, for their best interest. But at the same time, I feel like we have a responsibility as those who have come before them to break it down to them and say like, yo, like let's talk, let's think about this and have a conversation and, you know, hopefully they can take something from that. But yeah, I just think it's important for, you know, older generations and, and people who have kind of been through whatever the case may be to then pay that forward and pass that down to, to this upcoming generation. Absolutely. And right, I think central to that message, right, it's just the willingness to listen. And I think that's what lays the foundation of, of the trust for, for the younger generation. So mm-hmm. thanks for sharing that perspective. And, and yeah, man, do you like... I was thinking about this earlier, six years ago, right? Five years ago, we graduated high school and whatnot. Do you feel like simultaneously for me, it feels like a whole different world ago. And I, I actually feel kind of removed from basketball in some senses, right? Cause I played, I played club in college. I didn't play D3. I was going to play D3. We can dive into that a little bit later, but like, but also it seems like such a like integral part of my identity. I don't know. It's, it's a weird thing. Yeah. Weird thing. It is weird, I, I think, but I really do think the game's not totally that much different. And I don't mm. think these kids are totally that much different, but I feel like it's the way you speak to them mm-hmm. and how they respond to certain things. Like, I know for me, I'm not someone who responds to someone just like actively telling me what to do. Yeah. Like, it's kind of giving them suggestions and kind of working with them instead of talking at them. But also, like you said, being able to listen and feel like their, their voice has value instead of telling them, well, when I played or when I did this, like, this is how we did it. Like they know that they, they are very aware, but there's just a, there's a, an extra, there's an extra effort that has to go into working with these kids because they are our future leaders. Like, whether that's in sports medicine science things like that like they need to feel cared about and value and it'll only make for a better world if they are given the proper tools on top of all the things that they have at their disposal 
Absolutely. Right. And it's just trying to be, I think to me, what stands out there is just trying to be a partner in that, you know, and you can still be a mentor and a leading figure, but somehow trying to find that partner, you know, identity with the person trying to work together with the youth as an example. Right. So, you know, a lot of interesting things going on there that I think I want to tie together later, but as sort of like a segue going there, can we just talk about like your basketball experience um, first at Dickinson and then NYU, um, yeah. because I think it's really relevant to what we're talking about now, right? Which is the idea that you're talking about potentially seeing a life beyond basketball, right? And but at one point you said growing up you were thinking about being an NBA player, just like me, right. like well, yeah. all of us did, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And so for you, when did that shift occur when you said, okay, maybe I won't be an NBA player, for example? Um, and then kind of like walk me through the D3 basketball experience maybe because I'm actually fascinated to hear about it from you because yeah. we were actually talking about it a little bit when I was making my college decision. Mm-hmm. I was like thinking Dickinson a little bit. I, I really love that school thinking Johns Hopkins as well, yeah. but I ended up not playing D3. I went to Princeton, played some club ball. So I just love to hear, right? Like when did you decide maybe NBA is not your thing? Then what was the D3 experience like? And what can we learn from that? What can we take from that? And then I'll ask you sort of about what you're doing now, I guess. I think you made out okay going to Princeton. <laughs> I think that's a pretty, pretty good school, I heard. Thanks, sir. That's for sure. Yeah, Thank you. Sure. Um, yeah, so I think during my recruitment period in high school, um, the Division One level was always something that I would be in, depended on which level, mm. you know, obviously. But um, I think my junior year in high school, I always – not always, but that was the moment I knew that like my decision in choosing a school would have an impact after those four years would, would be done. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to be at a place that challenged me academically. Um, basketball, but I always knew that like the ball stops bouncing at some point. And I knew there were things and experiences that I wanted and I, you know, wanted to be able to be in a position uh, in the workforce that I could then pass these things down to, you know, the next generation, like I said. Right. So um, when I was trying to decide whether I would go to prep school, um, cause that was really my option, either prep school or go into a division one school that academically may not have been uh, in the realm that I wanted. Um, but I was still thankful to really have like have those opportunities. Yeah. Um, but I think, again, I really, had my professional future in the back of my mind always. Um, and that was the reason for choosing Dickinson. I think when I had my, it was really kind of late in the admissions uh, process, but I think when I went in and I, I spoke to admissions, we didn't even talk about basketball. They made me feel like I was a student and that's all I ever wanted. Like I, I again, I, the game I love to play but I, I really just right from my admissions kind of interview um, I, I felt valued as a human being not just for what I could do on the basketball court and I was from coach already and that mm-hmm. was from admissions as well so um, I think having you know my friend Corey Corey Sherman uh, commit there I think that gave me the confidence to want to be there and so I committed and you know, went in, I had two years. Um, we lost in our conference playoffs two years in a row. We lost in the championship my sophomore year, um, which was tough. And so when you get that far and you get that close, you're thinking like, 
you know, we got to come back and do it again. But I think I was, uh, again, I always had my professional future in the back of my mind mm. and kind of being in a place where I not only felt comfortable, um, but just would academically and, uh, you know, in the form of like an internship or opportunity. So um, I made a decision to transfer to NYU, um, you know, just being in New York and kind of kind of being amongst the, the rest of the city. Like we didn't even really have a campus. You step outside and you're among the rest of the city, which, you know, for for a lot of people, you know, a lot of people can't do that. And, yeah. and that's not a fault to them. Like the city is it's it's an animal. So, <laughs> But I really think like having been 21, um, it just I was a little bit more mature and able to handle uh, kind of what New York is. So you know, Dickinson, I still, you know, take things that I learned in those small classroom settings and uh, the small campus environment and applied it at NYU and did even better than I did at Dickinson, just mm-hmm. because I was prepared, not only academically, but I was prepared, you know, from a, a maturation standpoint, having had those experiences and now knowing what I wanted to do professionally, it made it that much easier to kind of thrive in, in, in that setting. Right, right. So I didn't even know that, you know, your professional future and what you were thinking about beyond the game played a role in your transfer. Yeah. Wow. Wow. And so got it. That's that's I think that's important for people to hear, you know, if anybody's listening. Right. Hopefully (laughs) I think with with your, uh, you know, network, hopefully some people will listen. And yeah. So thinking about that is important. And I guess on the court wise for, you know, that's another important element for people to hear about. Um, what was D3 basketball like for you? Um, because there's, I've heard people say that, you know, coming from like a great high school basketball program, like me or your, your high school basketball program, sometimes it's like hard for college to even live up to that, even at the division one level. Um, but it looks like you had, you know, really valuable and good experiences at the D3 level. Um, and so could you just talk a little bit more about that? Um, and maybe comparing contrasting it to high school and just the level of play and all that good stuff. I think it's important for people to hear that. Sure. Yeah. My, my high school career was incredible. Um, I came in my freshman year. Uh, we won the central league. We made the district championship also Chester. Um, and then we lost in the state championship, but I think being along for that ride and kind of getting the firsthand glance at like what top level high school basketball was, was right. just incredible. And then the following year, we did the same thing. We won the Central League. We lost in the district championship to Chester again. But then we kind of turned it around and we won in the state championship. So even after that, like, we won the Central League again. So we won it three years in a row. And, you know, we got to play. You know, I got to play against some of the best basketball players to ever play yeah. um, and travel and things like that. So Laura Marion was incredible. Um, and it just prepared me for the next level. In terms of, you know, defensively, I think is the biggest part. Um, I think that's where people really struggle, and the speed of it in the college game. I don't care what level you're at; it's it's different, mm-hmm. and it's an adjustment. So I think when I went into Dickinson, I was a little more prepared, um, but also you're trying to fit into that culture as well, and kind of balance between what you learned in high school and what your coaches at the next level are telling you. Okay. Um, which was, which was great. And so I got the kind of the best of both worlds. I was in a small campus, um, smaller league. So we, you know, we, we drove the bus around and uh, smaller crowds, like not that big, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And then when I transferred to NYU, you know, that's a, a giant of a school in a huge city. Like there's probably, there's not really, uh, I don't even think there is, there's not a division three program like it just given the circumstances. Yeah. Um, and so we flew pretty much everywhere, um, except for the Brandeis trip, but to fly to places and, you know, stay in hotels and have meals. Like it was kind of the closest Damn. thing that you could get to like, I guess the NBA, but even like at the <laughs> college, like a division one, level which was just incredible and i got to go to places that i'd never been um but at the same time like we didn't have a gym at nyu um really still yep they're still building it now so we played uh at hunter college we played all our home games wow um sometimes we would play at the brooklyn facility i played one game there um but even practice like we had practice at palladium but there's only there's only one court and it's kind of like a box essentially. So you have like the rest of the athletic community kind of looking down on your practices. Wow. Also when we would try to play pickup, you have to kind of work in with the rest of the school because there's only one gym and you can't really reserve a court time unless you come in at six in the morning. So it was a challenge, like practice. Sometimes we would, we would take, well, not sometimes, but most of the time we take the subway to pace or, the Brooklyn facility. Wow. And that all that all matters, right? When you're doing all that, and then you fly out on Thursday, you play Friday, then Saturday you fly again or you take a bus somewhere, and then you play Sunday, and then you fly home. So it I had a really unique kind of basketball experience, but it really just kind of prepared me again for life after basketball because mm-hmm. while that was really challenging and it kind of you know, it weighs on you. All that travel, all the plus school, and it just allowed me to be more efficient from a time standpoint. So, uh, you know, I couldn't have asked for a better situation because I really learned and and grew, and grew from that. Right, right. And I and I love you kind of comparing and contrasting small liberal arts school, Dickinson, right, in that sort of suburban environment mm-hmm. and driving to games versus the bigger bigger city school. And I think you're right, probably. NYU is one of a kind in that sense, but also for people thinking D3, there are definitely like urban environments, I think, where you can go play D3, like Hopkins is in Baltimore, Mm -hmm. right? And everything. So just interesting things to think about from that geographic perspective. And I guess like my next question would be sort of when you had your last college game, what was that like for you? Like mentally, emotionally, all of that. And I, I read your piece in the medium about like your last game. Thank you. Basketball is beautifully written by the way. Um, and I just want to hear a little bit more about that. And I have a sense that, you know, you were a bit more prepared for that. Right. Cause you were talking about like post ball career was always in your mind. Um, but can you just kind of walk through that? Because like you said, I think if anybody's listening to this, who's in high school, right. For example, playing ball, I think it's helpful to, to hear what you said earlier which is like people don't remember if you had 20 in this game or 30 yeah. in this game or four in this game. Right. Which is weird. It's, but it's true. Cause I remember at the time being so worried about like how I played game to game, but like you said, even five years out, it's just a different experience. Right. So can you just talk about that transition to post-basketball life and whether it was a gradual one or was it sort of like you were just ready to flip that switch? What was it like? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a, a real, testament to the Laura Marion program and you know the experience I had 
there, not even just while I was in high school, but, you know, as I was coming up again, like I said, like going to games and seeing the crowds and seeing how the community responded to, to, to that program. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the success we had, the relationships I formed, the coaching staff, like these are people that, you know, I'll talk to, out of, you know, out of the blue, just yep. like randomly. I can go text a guy from the team. You know, it's actually somebody's birthday today. I got to go say happy birthday to him. <laughs> but, um, you know, you're bonded by that for life. And so I think having had that experience and then fast forward into my last sort of basketball game, like I feel like I had given my all to the game and, you know, my, my path and my journey wasn't what I thought it would be. And, you know, you always think you're going to not always think, but, you know, as a player, you strive to play at a high level. And so of course I wanted to play division one basketball and, uh, you know, play at a certain place, but I, my basketball experience was so great that, you know, when that day came and the game was over and we ended up winning, it didn't even matter if I won or lost. Like I knew I had given everything to that game and Mm -hmm. every practice. And um, I think what has always been most important to me is like, I don't care how many points I scored. I don't care. I don't even care if we won or lost. I think it was being able to be a teammate and be someone that guys could, could look to Mm. not even just basketball wise, but outside of the game, if it meant having a conversation or there's something going on, like I always wanted to be that resource that meant more to me than any point I ever scored or any play I ever made. Like, I just hope that the guys that I played with knew that I was in their corner and mm. knew that I had their back. And I really felt like, I felt like I did that. And so when it ended, I was just like, you know, I'm, I'm prepared for this next step because I always had it in the back of my mind. And, you know, my, my, my lifelong goal has always been to really just like serve and, and be amongst the community and, and, make life a little bit easier for for people who are you know having a hard time so Mm -hmm. um i said that in in my piece and when i wrote it, i wrote it like a couple weeks before i knew i wanted to do something and uh i think it was in my writing class um that was when i was first developing it and i got feedback from my professor and then you know i you know published it but again i think having that experience at laura marion then going to Dickinson and the, you know, it wasn't easy. Definitely wasn't easy. Then transferring and playing and having coaching changes and the practice gyms. and That wasn't easy either, but you come out of it and you think back and you think like, I played as hard as I could. I was the best teammate I could be. And that's what matters to me. Mm. Bro. That is like therapeutic for me. No lie. Um, Right. Like, and, it's not like those concepts are these like foreign concepts, groundbreaking concepts. We're all taught that when we're younger, right. To like give the best that we can be the best teammate you can be. Right. But I think really doing it is different than just knowing it intellectually. And I think I like to think that I did the same. Right. But for some reason, it's been hard for me to like say goodbye to the game in a weird way. Um, I don't know if it's because I didn't play D3 or, or not, but maybe it's not, right? Because you played D3, for example, but I think it's more about your outlook on the game, right? And the way you approach that. And, and it's what you just said, right? So it's not about 
like what you accomplish in the game to ever like satisfy that itch. I think it's more of a mental, emotional relationship with the game. Would you agree with that? I agree. And I think as competitors, right? Like it's it's tough to play the game and not be a competitor. Yeah. And like you see the way the game is going now. You, I, I, I watch it every day and I enjoy it even more now that I have time to sit down and watch all different levels, men, women, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but you still get that itch to play. Like I walk throughout <laughs> the hallway, like, I just can't, I can't help myself Euro. Yeah. <laughs> because I'm so, I'm so, I'm so ingrained in, in the game and it's meant so much to me mm. that you can't help it when you stop by somewhere and you see people playing. I think when I was, not even think when I growing up and it still happens, right? Like I never had uh, a basketball hoop in my house outside, mm. but every time I would drive by somewhere and I see a hoop, I just envision myself playing on that hoop and the mm-hmm. shots that I would make. And that's just because the game is just so special. Like you can't help, but think about it. And so I definitely get that urge to play. But again, there's the other side of it where I feel like I gave my all and, mm. you know, I'm not itching to, it, it never was about the game. It was about wow relationships with my peers mm. and coaches and, having those bonds it just so happened to be through basketball but I think I've, I've put enough time in and uh you know I'm enjoying watching it and getting a different perspective now that I'm not playing man again I just I'm saying it again therapeutic right because as, as you're talking I'm thinking about my time with the game and whether I gave my all and whether it was about relationships for me right and it was the whole way and I can just like you, I have a PW family of people, you yeah. know, that like I still talk to every day. We still have group mm-hmm. chats and everything. And my coach and I still talk, you know, which is kind of a huge privilege for me. He's a big deal and everything. And um, just the people I met, right, the lessons you learned. But I guess my outlook on that has not been centered on that. Right. So just like reorienting the way I look at it and sort of like I think I'm very hard on myself, very critical and always like trying to do better. And I think that's a, you know component of of greatness right it's like people who do great things are always trying to improve I'm not saying i'm great yeah. but just it's something to strive for right but also i've been trying to be more grateful and appreciative of just things in my life as well and i think mm-hmm. basketball should be one of those things um and so just listening to you talk is like it's helping me bro i'm not i'm not capping i'm, I'm really serious so thank yeah. you of course yeah man so okay got it right now we're transitioning post ball Right. And now you are a brand consulting assistant at Creative Artist Agency, I believe. Um, can you talk about that and sort of your right, like your professional work and what's motivated you to enter the various spaces you have professionally? Um, and you said your vision is sort of serving your community. Right. And so do you envision being able to do that through your work? Um in addition to, you know, volunteer experiences and whatnot. And so just love to hear more about that. Gain some inspiration. Yeah. yeah. Um, again, going back to junior high school, I, I kind of knew the lane that I wanted to be in. Um, and obviously, like when you're a junior in high school, like you have so many other things that you're concerned with. And <laughs> But I, I think I, I knew the realm that I wanted to be in, kind of like the sports marketing, player representation, 
mm-hmm. just being around the game and basketball in particular, because I've always just had a passion for it, but it was kind of hard when you're in it and you're playing like your only thought process is in my immediate, I'm focusing on the game, showing up to practice, performing, things like that. So I think when I got to NYU, I had an extra year because I transferred. Right. And so in that extra year without basketball, I got a chance to intern. Um, I had an internship at another agency, um, two agencies, actually, one in the fall and one in the spring. Then the pandemic hit and I was still interning. Right. But without a pandemic, I'm thinking like, OK, I'm working at this agency. Um, I had the last experience. Now I'm looking for a full time role after I finish this. Right. And with sports, you know, it's difficult because everybody wants it. Everybody says they want to work in sports. Facts. Why not? <laughs> but there's so much competition to get in. But mm-hmm. at the same time, it's like once you get your foot in the door, you you take it and you run and you work. Mm. So I was doing I did three internships over this past year in 2020. Then this past year, I was doing two at one time. Mm. And it really I think it's just it's because of like my determination. Like I may not have put the most energy into playing basketball and getting up extra shots, but I knew that my professional future again is something I wanted to hone in on and be in the spaces that sports marketing realm. So taking those two internships at one time, like reaching out to people on LinkedIn and just saying like, Hey, like I'm interested in this, like these are some questions I have. Would you have time to speak? Yeah. And it wasn't easy, right? Like pandemic aside, it's difficult to break into sports, but mm. I always kind of kept my focus because I knew the nature of, you know, this pandemic, people were losing their jobs, being furloughed, and that's not easy. And so uh, I never kind of worried too much. You know, obviously you want to use your talents and be able to uh, contribute because, you know, you believe in yourself. So mm-hmm. eventually, I was able to, you know, I landed this job and again, it wasn't easy, but again, once you get in, you have to kind of, you can't settle. And just knowing the amount of people who have lost their jobs or people who have been, you know, laid off from even the company, like it's, it's a dream come true for me to be in this position, but now like, what are you going to do with it? Right. Mm. Like, it's not even a question that now I have to work 10 times harder because I know that, you know, other people don't get this opportunity. Yeah. Um, and I think it's, it's, it's really have, has helped me the past couple of months since I've been there. Um, and, you know, now I'm really just focused on, you know, using my experiences and, you know, kind of understanding this next court generation that, you know, I think a bunch of brands and, agencies and places are trying to understand mm. and kind of using my voice on behalf of them to to help these places understand them and make sure their voice is valued. Absolutely. So could you talk a little bit more about, you know, what that day-to-day looks like, right? Because I'm I'm really not familiar with this space at all. Um, yeah. But it sounds like you're able to use everything we were talking about earlier, right? The connection to the youth and the next generation and what you're doing now. So could yeah. you just tell me more like, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, I don't want to talk about my job. It's boring. But like to me, I'm, I'm very interested. You know what I mean? So I'd yeah. love to hear about it. So sure. It's it's, you know, administrative day to day work. So right. 
handling schedules, calendars, uh, responding <laughs> to emails, classic, uh, uh, you know, just administrative things across the board, mm -hmm. but also, you know, some of the projects that we, you know, we have going on um, and kind of being looped in and taking notes and just kind of preparing myself. Right. Because mm -hmm. it, it's kind of like being a freshman on a team. You, yeah. you soak all this knowledge in, you're learning, you're going to make mistakes and you have people in front of you who are passing down all these things. And it's just like, what are you going to do with it? Right. Mm -hmm. So I think each day I've tried to, uh, you know, take what I've, I've learned from being at Dickinson, being at NYU, having the internships that I've been at, they've mm -hmm. all played a role in kind of providing me with the tools to kind of make the most of the role that I'm in now. And so it's a balance between handling your responsibilities, but also not thinking too far ahead because you always, you always think about the places that you want to be in. Right. But absolutely. I'm trying not to think too far ahead because it's important to enjoy the, the, you know, the, I don't want to say the P word, the, yeah. the process, right. The process. Yeah. Right. And, you know, just learning, I'm trying to learn as much as possible meet as many people as possible. And virtually it's not very, it's not as easy because mm -hmm. you could kind of pop into the office and be like, Hey, you got a few minutes, but again, taking that time out to learn as much as possible. And then, you know, when my time comes for whatever role is next, I'll be prepared because I'm learning from, in my opinion, the best and, uh, you know, applying all I've learned from previous spots to apply now. Right. Right. And I love what you said there, right? Like sort of this phrase, chop wood, carry water is basically what you're saying, right? Which is focusing on those mundane things, the daily things, and just really just being in the present process, present, all those buzzwords. Right. Um, Cause I, I think, I don't know. I know we talked about us being removed from this generation of, you know, the grass is always greener, but to some extent, I think probably me and you have gotten some of that indoctrination in our minds, right. Of like, what's next, where are we going next? What are we going to do yeah. next? What's the future? Right. And I think one thing I've been working on, I'm in a gap year before medical school, right now. And so I've been using that as like a huge opportunity, right. To enjoy the present and not mm -hmm. be thinking about like the rat race of what's going next. Right. And cause I think nowadays people are switching jobs much more often than they were in the past, which is great. Right. You're able to kind of pursue your interests more, which is a wonderful mm -hmm. thing. Right. But like everything we've been talking about the pros and cons of everything, right. It's not always black and white. And I think with that culture of like, what's next, it's, it's not easy to stay in the present. So I applaud you for that, yeah. especially during everything that's going on right now, right? With yeah. all the uncertainty, right? So, mm -hmm. yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think one of my final, you know, I could go on forever talking with you, but we have a couple <laughs> more minutes. Um, and I guess now we covered sports. We covered, you know, tying sports into our work. Who is Jewel Brown sort of outside of sports, outside of your work and everything what is you know what makes you tick in that sphere any any hobbies any interests that you enjoy I guess writing and mm -hmm. I guess that's apparent given the you know the thank you basketball piece but yeah I think it's super important for people to just like express themselves and so whether that's you know if you're not the most outspoken I think there are outlets where you can kind of channel your inner thoughts mm. because that's the hardest part too. Like we're so 
we kind of keep a lot in and there's this fear that you don't want to bother someone or you don't think it's a, a big deal, but, you know, holding that stuff in and, and sitting with your thoughts, it's, it's, it's tough. It's, it's not easy to do because it doesn't allow you to be your true self when you're holding things in. So I mm. think writing has been super important for me and has been a great outlet, whether that's, you know, writing essays or papers in school, uh, I enjoy Twitter and I enjoy like connecting with friends and people that I've never met before. So I think writing is one of them. Um, you know, obviously sports, I think just following sports and seeing the way different leagues work and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, different players and, and the strategy of, of different, different games. Like I follow pretty much every single sport you can think of. Yeah. And I think there's, you know, they all connect in some way, no matter which one they are. Yeah. And then I guess really just like spending time with friends and kind of learning. Like, I feel mm-hmm. like I learned from each conversation I have with somebody, whether it's a, a friend or a peer. I'm an only child, so uh, my friends are really important to me. There so you go. Any, any chance I can get to kind of spend time with them and just talk about what's going on right because again you can't sit with your thoughts forever and there's a mm-hmm. lot going on in the world there's a lot going on in certain communities yeah i think you know getting those different perspectives from different people and kind of coming together and, and speaking on things it's easy to hide behind a phone and kind of do that but yeah i think we have to make it a point to have some more in-person conversations and and really you know, connect with each other because yeah. it's, it's going to take a joint effort to kind of change some of the things that are going on. Right. Right. And my first question would be, what is your, cause I'm really fascinated by the writing part and, and how that mm-hmm. connects right to connection with other people. Um, what is your process for writing? Because I've just started trying to keep a journal during this gap year, which has been good, right. To, you know, it's something you remember every day, basically Absolutely. in a way, but I'm also trying to like, I've never thought of myself as a poetry kind of person, you know what I mean? But I'm trying to just like get thoughts and feelings out there on the paper. And I love what you said about Twitter as a way to do that. That's a great point. I never yeah. even thought of it like that. Right. But what's your sort of writing process now that you're removed from the academics? Do you, do you just write poetry? Do you write your thoughts? What, what do you kind of go to there? I think Twitter has been my main. Outlet. Yeah. And it, Twitter is strange because you're putting your thoughts out there to the rest of the internet and it's different from Instagram you're putting pictures out there but your own thoughts and your own words like there's a fear there that I'm not going to be understood in the right way and Mm -hmm. I have that all the time yeah but I think it's so important to to keep an open dialogue with with everyone um and Twitter has been my main outlet but if I'm writing like you know that thank you basketball piece and I've written a couple other things like Mm -hmm. I don't write often but if there's something i feel like i need to speak about or want to talk about i use medium and medium.com that's yeah that's been my way to kind of publish pieces but i think it's just really important to express yourself and i don't want to go the rest of my life without like standing for something or speaking Mm. out about something so if it's something that i feel is important and it's necessary i'll absolutely write about it but, you know, that can come in many forms. It can be poetry. It can be certain things writing down that, like, this is what I found interesting. I've spent a lot of time in my notes on my laptop. 
Absolutely. And I'll write things down that like I have a great quotes list from people that I know and don't know. And there are things that come to my mind. Like I'll make lists of like mm. top 10 something or shows that I watch. So it's really just utilizing, tapping into my thoughts and getting it somewhere other than my mind because otherwise yeah. I'm going to go insane if I don't. Right. Right. Going to go insane for sure. But also sort of what I'm hearing you say is right when you're writing or you're just putting things out there, whether it's Twitter in your notebook or whatever you're doing in your notes, anything, I think we're sort of crystallizing those thoughts into something tangible. And there's some, there's some real awesome things that can happen through that. So just for anybody who's listening, I think the power of writing is, is real. You know what I mean? And I'm just barely tapping into that trying to, but yeah, it's a way to, kind of live a more full life I feel in some ways yep. too right like not just existing up here and being like what did I do last Thursday right like what am I thinking what am I feeling sort of getting in touch with that so man I love that I'm inspired I'm going to try to keep writing like you for sure for it's sure. awesome you should you should because it again it you don't even have to write these things down and publish it like they no. can just be your own thoughts because again we spend so much time you know, sitting with our thoughts in this pandemic, it's been isolated, right? Like it hasn't been easy. So any way to get something off your mind and off your chest is, I think that's an important outlet. Absolutely. Well, man, Jewel, I think we're at time. I just want to say like, thank you again for taking your time today, bro. Like I really do look up to you and, and you've always been a guy that, you know, I've been inspired by. And so really honored that you took the time today to kind of chop through these things and made some peace with my basketball <laughs> past, you know what I mean? And just learned a lot from you. So man, I appreciate it. That's it's an, it's an ever going journey. All of it is right. But yes. again, I think having these outlets and being able to, to speak to your peers, we hide behind this phone a lot. And, but I think it's great to have conversations like that. So I'm glad, you know, we got this chance to talk, Mike, and this is, this is an important platform and I hope you continue to, to use it because people care about what you're saying. Even if you think you don't, people care about what you're saying. Man, you got me feeling good. Thanks for, I could run off that compliment for a while. So I'm (laughs) going to keep doing it, see if anybody listens. But man, it's guests like you who are, you know, bringing stuff to the table. So thanks again, Jewel. Thanks to the listeners. And we will see y'all on the next installment. Thanks again. Thank you, Mike. Peace.